Hello. Are you having any dreams about the coronavirus or are maybe even they're not even like specifically about the coronavirus, but are your dreams more scary or more vivid or more anything than usual? If so, I want to hear about them. Send me an email. You can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at c19dreams at gmail.com. That's c19, like the number 19, at gmail.com. c19dreams at gmail.com. Send them my way. Okay, so welcome to Coronavirus Coping Stories with Auntie D. That's me, Darby Worley. Um, not, I don't have a lot, to, a lot to say today. I'm going to jump straight into the interview, but I'm just going to say that voiceover artists, fellow voice actors, this one is for you. On the show today is J. Michael Collins, and if you um, have spent too much time in the voiceover world, you probably know who he is. I wanted to have him on the show because he wrote a piece recently um, just kind of talking about how our business is going to be changing. But more than that, it's also just a human catch up with somebody um, who lives in Luxembourg. And I haven't had anybody on the show who lives in Luxembourg. In fact, I don't think I've ever met anybody before who <laughs> lives in Luxembourg. The way that I met JMC is that I very aggressively accosted him after um, a voiceover social here in London because I had just moved to town at that moment. And I just wanted to hear of like, how was he managing his, his business as an American over in Europe? And I just had so many questions for him. And he was very patient with me, um, answered all my questions. And then we became kind of social media friends. And now here he is on the show. So I hope that you will find some comfort and some inspiration in what he has to say. Here's J. Michael Collins. So joining me now is J. Michael Collins, who is a voice actor, teacher, demo producer extraordinaire. If you know his name, you probably know him as kind of a voiceover celebrity, I would say. Um, but And <laughs> and so um, my network, of course, my two worlds are acting and fitness, acting comedy and fitness kind of. Um, so as we go through this, this show, you're going to find that most of my um, most of my interviews come from from there. But this is not really about voiceover today. This is really more of a just like a human um, like catch up and check in to see how you're doing. And talk about um, the show is is um, stories about how this crisis is affecting people's lives, health, and work. Um, and I'm also, by the way, very very well known for my expertise in fitness. I just want to pass that along <laughs> while we're here up front. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, master fitness. <laughs> That's right. So let's just start with the the first question. Is always just how are you? How are you feeling today? Do an, do a do an emotional scan for me. Uh, you know, I th I think probably like everybody else, which is um, the uh, desire to wish we could snap our fingers and make things go back to the way they were uh, before this all started, and uh, not to read the news if at all humanly possible. But of course, you you can't not because you have, especially if you have a family, it's sort of your responsibility to know what's going on in the world and to be informed and prepared. Um, this is a this is a worldwide trauma that I, I don't think anything like this has been experienced on such a shared collective level since World War II. Uh, and so for really anyone who's alive today, with the exception of those handful of few who are left from that era, 
um, this is new and it's uncharted territory. So I think uh, just like everyone else, it's certainly unsettling, but we do the best we can. What's it like? So, um, so JMC lives in Luxembourg. So can you tell me what, what's it like? I haven't really heard any news out of Luxembourg. So what's it like for you in terms of restrictions on life on the ground? Well, which is a good sign because we're 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 blessed to be here. Um, we have a government that is uh, so far demonstrated really uh, tremendous control and restraint at the same time. Um, the medical infrastructure here is extremely strong, uh, and um, you know they have plenty of ventilators. They have plenty of of equipment. There's no shortages, uh, and we also have we're kind of on the German. Um, track in terms of the the curve of this thing. We have about 2,000 cases here, but only about 20 deaths, uh, and I think only maybe 100 or so ICU patients at the moment. So, um, so you know, small blessings. Um, and uh, in terms of daily life, I think it's it's somewhat similar to everywhere else. I mean, the, the restaurants are, are doing takeout and delivery, but are otherwise closed. Uh, you know, the essential stores are open, the non-essential stores aren't. Um, but there is still the ability, if we want to go to the park, if we want to go to walk by the river, if we want to, you know, to, to stroll in um, family units, as it were, as long as you're keeping your, your appropriate social distance uh, to do so. And, and we've been blessed to have um, this just somehow coincide with three weeks of spectacular sunshine after six months of rain. So um, at the very least, we can, we can get outside and breathe a little fresh air. So I think we're probably luckier than most. Yeah, I keep thinking about that because London had, God, you know, I, I, this is my second, I'm going into my second year here. And the first year, the first winter was pretty, not so bad. You know, it, like everyone was like, everyone was worried about me moving here with the weather. But the first year wasn't bad. This winter was awful. And yet somehow since this all went down, we've had sunshine almost every day. Right. We've had some rainstorms that have happened overnight. Right. But then by the time it's morning, it's sunshiny again. And it's almost like Mother Nature knew that we couldn't possibly handle like right. both of that, like this crisis and gloomy weather every day. You you wonder, it makes you wonder sometimes, doesn't it, about, about how how and why things happen. Yeah, I'm an atheist. and But I tell you, <laughs> I'm starting to believe in Mother Nature. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, so I want to talk a little bit about your work day because you, my perception of you is you're somebody who works, you know, half the time at home maybe and half the time on the road out doing these seminars and workshops and yada, yada, yada. So what's it been like for you to be stuck home? Well, I think half and half is probably a little bit of an exaggeration. I'm, I'm, I would say I, I do spend probably about on an average year, maybe 75 nights in a hotel. Uh, so I am, I am traveling quite a bit, but, uh, the home studio is still the home studio. It's still home base. So this is, this is my natural habitat. I'm more comfortable here than I am anywhere else. Um, it's certainly different not to have been on an airplane since early January. Uh, that's, um, as someone who, you know, all of the airlines have given sh little shiny cards to, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like, what, 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 where are my, where are my wings? Where are my planes? Where I don't see sky. What's happening here? Uh, so that's, um, that's new for me. I was always a little bit of a workaholic to begin with. And I think that I've just leaned into that. And so, um, I'm just pulling 18 hour days, at least four days a week now, and then kind of easing up and then relaxing with the family on the weekends as much as possible. And, and then diving back in and, uh, 
that's you know that that's what I feel like the responsible thing to do is at the moment for me for my family and um and that's also how I can sort of maintain a, a feeling of some sense of control over over my life and over what it is that uh, that I do on a daily basis. Yeah. So, so my situation is I um, obviously spend most of my time in the room that you see here. Um, but the thing that's been different for me is that my husband usually spends, you know, ten hours a day not. In the flat. <laughs> okay. And so for me, that's just, it's, it's, you know, and I love my husband, but it's been a lot. Like, what was your situation? What, what, I, I forget your wife's name. Is it Anne? Anna. Anna. So um, was, did she work outside the home or is she usually home with you as well? She's usually home with me. Actually, we're we're fortunate in that she's been um, essentially sort of my chief logistics officer for a number of different parts of my business uh, since she left the corporate world about uh, five years ago. Uh, and um, so we're used to we're we're used to being around each other, and we're blessed to have a you know decent sized actual standalone house here, which uh, which not everybody in Luxembourg is lucky enough to have. Um, but uh, the the challenge for us has been, of course, we have an almost four-year-old who we adore and who we love and who is genuinely the sweetest, nicest child that you will ever meet. Um, but he was typically in uh, in preschool here for eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, and so for her, I, I think this has been even more of a challenge in that now she's, while I'm in here working and maintaining the business she is you know bearing the brunt of child care five days a week uh and um you know that's taxing so uh fortunately we're you know we're we're partners and we've always um sort of had a had a general easy consensus about division of labor and um and so we're coexisting happily but we all have our moments where you know we get a little down and uh and get a little fussy and uh, i think that's that's normal and nothing to be unexpected in, in, in these times. And you just lean into the love that you have for each other and then the family that you've got around you and take it as a blessing, even though you may not be used to sharing closed quarters for as as frequently as people are right now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's been interesting because I think I'm seeing a whole new side of Kelvin because I don't see him in work mode. I never have. And now he's home. You know, working away at the kitchen table, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow, he's pretty stern when he's at when he's at work. Right. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know that, and he's and he's kind of crank, like a little short, short with me. Like I've, you know, if I, I was making lunch the other day, and I don't know if, um, you know, clumsiness is a symptom of coronavirus because if it is, maybe I have it because <laughs> I kept dropping, I was dropping shit while I was making lunch for him, right. and he was just giving me these looks like I've never seen before, and we never, we never fight, like never, we right, never right, have arguments. Right. We got into a fight four hours after he started working from home. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're just, I just think we're both, um. You know, emotions are running high right now, yeah. right? Emotions are just really running high. But do you have any advice for other couples who, uh, since you and since you and Anna have been working together for a long time, do you have any advice for um, for other couples who to whom this is new? Remember why you fell in love in the first place, and remember why you're together in the first place, and you know, look for all of the things in your partner that um, made you love them to begin with, and realize that they're human and that. Um, None of us are perfect, and we're all going to have our moments of crisis during this situation um, and just lean into the compassion and the love as much as you can and uh, and uh, try and look at things from their perspective as well. And that's, you know, look, it's I, I um, 
I have my moments too where, you know, we again all hear a screaming four year old running, you know, down the hallway upstairs where my studio is, uh, and you know, be uh be in the middle of a webinar or be you know, uh recording something and uh we'll be like, Why is there a crazy child up here running <laughs> around right now? And I and I realize, well, you know, he's usually at school. Uh and so yeah. I just I can't get I can't get mad at my wife for that. She's doing the best she can. Um and I think that we we just have to kind of be a little more tolerant now than than we might be at other times. Yeah, and I think it was the fir- the first few days of this. I was I was just in like full on panic when like I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can do this, and my and I was like on the verge of tears constantly. And now that it's been a couple of weeks, it feels like we're mm-hmm. settling into it a little bit. Um, I'm able to be a little bit more productive than I was at the beginning. You right. know, for the first God, the first week, I was literally just it was all news all the time. I didn't do any auditions right. unless they came from an agent. I wasn't like out sourcing any work. I was just like com- you know, consumed with this. And so that's part of the reason I started the podcast is that I wanted a way to kind of process right. the feelings that I'm having and just have um, kind of a diary of the the, the experiences of my of myself and my network i don't know if anybody's even listening to this but it's it's it might just be for me i don't know <laughs> um anyway let's so i do want to talk a little bit about um voiceover because talking about kind of settling back in and trying to get back to my um my previous levels of productivity you wrote something on social last week that lowered my blood pressure quite a bit because you talked about um, how some opportunities are going to dry up for a while, but there might might be other opportunities for us to pursue. Can you say a little bit more about that? Well, I think that it's, you know, uh, it comes down to the genres of the industry that you work in. And it's one of the reasons that I've sort of fought for many years against the idea that you have to choose between being a jack of all trades or a master of one. Um, I'd li- I like to be a master of as many as I possibly can be. I don't want to be a jack of any, but I want to be a master of as many as I can. Um, and what we're finding now, at least in the U.S. marketplace, is that um, some of your more traditional genres that were reliant on on camera or that were reliant on um, on third party studios uh, are. Are being they're being fairly devastated at the moment. Um, you know, network promos in a bad place. Trailer was already starting to die. This may be the nail in its coffin. Um, live announce obviously isn't happening. Yeah, that was one of my specialties. <laughs> um, and the animation and video game world is having a very hard time figuring out what to do because so much of video game work now requires mocap, and you know they're all in these big gyms doing their thing, and um, and now that you, you social distancing, you can't do that. Uh, plus, the home studio thing was not as common, and with animation, it's still you know a, a very much an LA game and very much a in person you know on at the studio game. Um, so there, the, a lot of that world is is having a very hard time on the other hand um there's uh um you know you, you never want to seem opportunistic at a moment like this you never want to look at this as a you know oh look great hey something's happening but uh, we i think any of us would snap our fingers and take it back to the way it was four weeks ago in a heartbeat without a second thought but what i always tell people is that i i you know this is how this is what we do for a living. We this is how we make our money. This is how we work, and it's our responsibility to our families and to the people that, in my case, I employ. You know, almost ten people uh, in various aspects of this business. Um, 
It's our responsibility to make sure that we continue to, to run our businesses well. And so what that means is we need to see where the work is going. And where I've been um, encouraged is that uh, I did I, I had my little pity party about three weeks ago because um, I had I had a moment, I think, like everybody else, where I, I just sat there for a second looking at the news, and I told my wife, I said, you know, in 25 years of doing this, this is the first time where I – can't confidently tell you where I think things are going to go, and I, you know, and I need to sit for a week and see what happens. Um, and it is, I'm, I'm, I like to think that people think of me as a nice guy, but I'm a little bit of a control freak, and if I can't see the chessboard, that scares the hell out of me. Um, and I felt for a, a few days there that I couldn't see the chessboard. Well, I, I feel like I can see the chessboard again, and I think what I'm seeing now in terms of movement is that um, the first piece of good news is that I thought. I thought commercial and corporate and industrial narration would take a hit. I didn't think they would take a devastating hit, but I thought they would take a 15 to 25% hit, uh, at least in the short term. Um, if we're all locked down in December, come back and, and we can have a different conversation because I think that'll be a different story. But I, I, I do suspect this will be over hopefully sooner than, than, than some people think. But, um, but for the moment, what I'm seeing is not a hit at all in corporate or, or, or commercial. I'm seeing a static amount of work. What I'm seeing, though, is just an incredible shift in specs. Um, and I, in 25 years in the business, I've never seen the industry move this rapidly to where if I went back um, three weeks ago, uh, and I, I'll just take, I'll talk about commercial and the bigger agency jobs, okay? Um, and I've got over a dozen agents in the U.S. Um, so on an average day, I might see 10 unique audition opportunities in aggregate from, from my various agents. If I go back four weeks, 60% um, of those were 18 to 30, bright, chipper, millennial, young, hip, and playful. Um, that's gone from 60% to 10 or 15% now uh, or less. And the vast majority of auditions I'm seeing for big national level work are 40 to 60, warm, reassuring, and compassionate. And I mean, to the point where I even did my my own demo on these kinds, because I've been booking them on these kinds of spots um, related to, to the current situation, because it has become, I, I mean, 50% of, of the actual jobs are COVID-related right now in commercial. Um, so it's it's remarkable to see that shift, but the volume hasn't gone down. The pay hasn't gone down. The, 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 there's the same amount of work there. It's just shifted. And corporate's been the same thing. It's The, it's the pay hasn't gone down. The volume hasn't gone down, but it's shifted to this warm, reassuring spec. Um, so, you know, if you've been one of those 35 to 65 talent who has felt like the market's been getting away from you a little bit, well, guess what? Now it's back, and now you're the voice that they want. Uh, and that happened faster than I would ever have imagined possible. The ones where the, the um, you know, the talent are going to see the most benefit, and I, again, I don't want to hate to use words that are too positive in a situation that's this grave, but uh, the areas where talent can pivot to, to, to make the, you know, most of their businesses at the moment um, are going to be e-learning and medical narration. And um, 
the growth we're seeing there, I think most of us who play in those fields regularly expected to see e-learning grow probably by 10% this year because of the fact that all learning for the next six months is probably going to be e-learning. I would imagine it would be more like 75% year on year. Uh, medical's even an even bigger story. Medical, again, we all probably figured would grow about 10% this year because it's been a growth sector over time um, and it's one of the highest paying areas of voiceover. It will grow 300% this year. And not not only will it do that, it will stay there probably for the next five years because this, even if we conquer this thing this summer and stop the spread and have a vaccine, people aren't going to stop talking about it. This is a world epic, by which I mean E-P-O-C-H, epic event um, that is going to be a topic of clinical papers, of e-learning modules, of how did it happen? How can we keep it from happening again? How could we have done things better? Um, you know, what will happen next time? What will happen in the future? And that will not stop or slow down until several years after this is over, which means that there's a reasonable argument to be made that medical narration and to, to a lesser extent e-learning, which were already kind of pound for pound some of the best paying parts of the business, may be the most lucrative parts of voiceover for the next five mm. years or so. So what's your advice to someone like me? How should I get more of those clients? <laughs> I have done a bunch of medical, I've done a bunch of medical work, but, um, and, but I'm not a very good marketer. So give me a pep talk. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, and, that's, and that's that's unfortunately one of the answers is that marketing is important. Um, medical and e-learning live very much in what I call the modern world of voiceover, which means that the a lot of the traditional sources where we find work don't handle, with, with the exception of commercial um, with medical, don't handle a lot of this kind of work. So talent agents may handle some medical commercial, they may handle some medical corporate, but they're not going to be handling a lot of e-learning or journal content or heavy technical training. Um, Production companies, I'm seeing some get into that game, so it's worth marketing to them. Uh, the ad agencies, not so much, again, unless it's broadcast work. So it really is sort of a, a three, a four-pronged plan, but one of the prongs isn't available right now, and that's networking in person. So that's gone for the moment. When the conferences start back up and we start being able to connect again, at that point, you want to talk to your fellow talent, get on as many you know individual talent rosters as you can, make as many friends as you can, because we pass each other other work at all the time. Right now with long form narration, I'm, 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 I'm casting with some frequency because of the fact that there is the volume is so high, I can't do all of it. Um, I'll take, I'll take all the corporates. If I can, even if I get 20 of them in a day, I'll do them all in the morning and crank them out and get them done. But, but if it's 10, 20, 30,000 words, you can only handle so much of that, right? Um, so you want to make as many friends in the business as you can, but right now we're, we're confined. Um, marketing directly to first and foremost content aggregators. Um, that's, more in the e-learning and explainer space where you have companies that create content for third parties and so trying to get on as many of their rosters as possible so you get auditions and sometimes direct bookings from them uh, is valuable. Um, marketing to end clients um, and again in the medical field right now but it's not just the medical field institutional clients, governmental clients um, even corporate clients everybody's got a message that they want to communicate about this whether that's a training message or, or a brand positioning message they have something that they want to say um, so reaching out to those people in a delicate manner, okay? It's not like, hey, there's a quarantine on and I'm available, so come hire me. Um, that's not the right pitch. The right pitch is,
is um, it, it's a, just a slightly modified version of your standard approach, which should be pretty soft sell, okay, and which should now automatically include something to the effect of, um, given the current circumstances, uh, I am a... Um, I have a fully professional home studio, Source Connect enabled, um, and I'm available to turn around quality work on demand uh, without having to source a, a third-party studio. I, when obviously when we when we write it, it sounds better than that. Um, but that's uh, that that's that's the general gist of it. Is you know I'm a, I'm a Source Connect enabled professional home studio talent, um, and uh, in this time where we can't access outside studios, I'm ready and available to provide you with whatever you need. Um, and now if you can build into that any level of medical competency or expertise or and again I don't want to use this as an opportunity to sell as a demo producer but if you have a medical demo or an e-learning demo that features medical content so you can demonstrate your competency and your proficiency um, then you have something that's potentially compelling to these buyers so the marketing side of it's important um, the two other things that are important one I've been preaching for the last 18 months or so as what I call the the next revolution in casting um, which is is what I call the curator revolution, and that has to do with your website and your SEO. Um, the younger generation of buyers today, the 25 to 35s, okay, have grown up in the gig economy. They have been pardon my language, chat on by gig economy companies that they've worked for, okay? And while they are not going back, this is the on-demand generation times 10, okay? So they're not going back to the old school because they look at that as too much red tape, too much paperwork, and too much bureaucracy. But they're also finding these websites that, you know, the pay-to-play sites, and they're going... That's Uber for voiceover, and I don't really want to do that either. So what they're doing is they are doing a targeted web search, and they're curating 5, 10, 15 talent, making their own lists based upon the kind of talent that they're looking for, and they're hiring directly. So SEO and your website is critical. And last but not least, as much as we love to hate on the pay-to-play sometimes, um, the more reputable ones, okay, are, look, um, there are four pay-to-plays that I'm on, uh, and all of them are sites where I can sleep well at night being on them. Um, you source this work through, you know, like anything else, I'm a big believer in diversification of your voiceover portfolio. If you're relying on one source for more than 20% of your work, I think you're, you're um, too heavy in, in that area, you're uh, and you're not diversified enough, um, and then you should try and find as many sources as you possibly can. And so this is where we get medical narration. It's not really coming through the the talent agencies and and the traditional sources. It's it's the the new world of EO. Thanks, JMC. That gave me a lot of um, things to think about working on. So let's talk. Let's go back to kind of just emotional state question. This is this is this is a question that I'm using to gather for a future podcast. Have have you had any corona related dreams <laughs> um you know something i'm i'm uh, uh i joke sometimes that um I have a pretty strong stomach for certain things. I, I was a football player when I was younger and a boxer when I was younger um but the only t v show that I've ever quit partway through is the Walking Dead because <laughs> because i it it actually gave me nightmares and I was going to sleep every night and fighting zombies um i've 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 had some virus related dreams, yeah, absolutely, I think like everybody else um and uh i i would be i would be shocked if anybody had to be honest with you i I'm a fairly lucid dreamer um so uh my dreams tend to be pretty intense and I wake up feeling like I've lived the experience. So yeah, there, there've been a few and that's not the most fun thing in the world.
Yeah, do you feel comfortable describing one for me? Oh, I don't know that I I, rem- I, I mean, I don't know that I remember them that specifically other than just, uh, you know, just the sense of, of um, uncertainty and isolation and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe, again, because we've been fed so much of this zombie stuff over the past 10 years that that little sense of, okay, is is that next level coming? Is it, is the, you know, is, is the, uh, the electricity going to go out and the water going to go out and then we're going to get to breakdown of society and, um, you know, have to go out and start fighting for our food. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, that's what comes up in those kind of dreams more often than not. But, uh, I've been, I have to say that I am, um, with certain obvious exceptions, um, pretty darn impressed with humanity so far through this crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's revealed more good about our character than bad about our character. Uh, and um, I think a lot of us would not have expected that to be the result. So, um, so far so good uh, with regard to, you know, us mostly doing what we should be doing and, um, you know, trying to, uh, trying to do our bit. And, uh, you know, for those of us who aren't, I mean, my sister's a doctor in Sydney, Australia. She's an MD. She's on the front lines Mm -hmm. and she has uh, a heart condition. So she's got her own vulnerabilities while she's, uh, she's dealing with this. So she's particularly exposed. Um, And it's the heroes like her that are allowing us to live, you know, Maybe it's not our ideal life inside our house, but um, it's uh, a very small sacrifice compared to what the people who are really out there doing the heroic work, seeing the things that a lot of us couldn't handle on a daily basis, are doing. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I have a, I have um, also in Australia actually. My sister-in-law is um, she's a vagina doctor mostly, but well, there <laughs> but you <she's>... go. <laughs> <laughs> but she's still in the hospital every day. <laughs> Um, So that sounds like one positive realization is a new appreciation of the people who take care of us. I I mean, not just the medical professionals, but just like the bus drivers and the sanitation workers and the grocery store clerks. And I've been really um, going out of my way to say nice things to those folks when I encounter them. So that's one kind of positive. And another, a couple other for me have been all these Zoom meetings that I'm doing with my friends and family. You know, being being so far, this is my, like, I'm still not quite used to being so far away from home. And so that's been really helpful. We realized, wow, we could have been doing this all along. I don't know why we weren't. I'm also getting to know the London parks in my neighborhood very well, spending a lot more time out in the park. Um, Give me one or two for you. Positive stuff outside of work, like positive stuff in your in your heart. Oh, I like what you said also about just getting out, and um, you know, for those of us who still have that privilege, uh, you know, where we are, we're we're on the Moselle River uh, here, and um, by the vineyards, and we're still able to go and you know walk through the vineyards and walk uh, along the Moselle, and there's a, a just a spectacular park here in our little village. Um, and uh, yeah, especially with the sunshine that we've had, just being able to to see nature in bloom and spring springing, and uh, you know, and and to take a moment to stop and and smell the roses when we can, and and to you know, honestly, the um, you take for granted sometimes. I think uh, you know, I know as a as a as a father of a young child, um, just the family aspect that's right in front of you, and um, you know. Now, as much as it's a handful to have a, an almost four-year-old running around for an extra 40 hours a week, um, it's pretty cool at the same time to go down and, and have my little lunch and, 
have him be there saying, Daddy, what are you eating? What are you doing? And then saying, Daddy, can I come up? Are you going to work? And I say, yes, I'm going to work. And he says, well, can I come too? Can I come too? And I was like, well, you know, if, if I'm writing a script or if I'm, you know, doing a Zoom with a friend or something, yeah, you can come. If I'm recording, now you got to stay with Mama. But um, but it's sort of nice because I'm seeing my kid a lot more. And, uh, you know, and, and, and my wife and I aren't ready to kill each other yet. So, um, you know, so I, I think I think those are those are definitely positive takeaways. And uh, look, this is a um, this is a world tragedy of the sort that um, comes along once in a generation or less. Uh, it's something that um, we'll be telling stories about to our grandchildren, and historians will be writing books about. Um, no one should ever minimize or trivialize or or diminish both the the losses that are happening and the sacrifices that people are going to have to make and that's not just lives lost and people on the front lines it's also for a lot of people this is going to be an, an economic catastrophe and i think one of the takeaways for people in our industry um especially those who who are very strong business minds uh will be that we may be sitting here from a year from now we probably already are a lot of us but we may be sitting here a year from now and recognizing truly for the first time just how privileged we are to do what we do. Yeah, yeah. It's just one more question about your kid. How sheltered are you keeping him from what does does he understand what's going on at 4? Um, no idea. Uh he's and he's just happy. He's, you know, he uh we we have been uh, so I'll share a little personal thing that that I don't talk about a whole lot and that's um my wife had uh we had a very normal pregnancy um and then about 3 weeks before she was due um she kind of yelled for me and I came downstairs and she said I'm really really not feeling well and I said well what's wrong and she said well I've got a really bad headache my ears are ringing my heart's beating really fast and her blood pressure had been a little high for the the previous 2 or 3 weeks so they had given her a home monitor um and we so we did use the home monitor to test her blood pressure and it was 210 over 100 um and so we called the the hospital and they said wait 10 minutes take it again and if it's anywhere in the same ballpark bring her in now drive for it'll be faster than calling an ambulance um turn your emergency lights on and just come uh and so we took it again and it was 210 over 115 and uh so okay we got to go so i put her in the car um drove like on you know a, a, a race car driver it's amazing i didn't get pulled over um and got her to the uh to the to the um not to the ER but to actual, her actual gynecologist to the maternity ward there. Um and they spent uh ten hours trying to get her blood pressure down with drugs and it would go down and then it would come right back up. And she was really in full preeclampsia and uh, at one point they realized we didn't I don't think either one of us realized how serious it was until after. Um uh, the next day when, when the OBGYN came in and said, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but if you hadn't come in last night you you probably would have lost both of them uh we you know so that that's that's an experience obviously that um brought us together more closely and made us take life more seriously and um what we've been blessed with though is that this little kid came out 
Um, and uh, she was obviously having an emergency C-section. I was in the room with her. Um, and at first, he's this pur little purple thing that was just like, what are you, you know? And um, and so they rushed him immediately because he was three weeks early. They don't know at that point, you know, is, is everything okay or not? Thank God he, they never even had to put a line in him. They put him in an incubator for a day and a half just to keep him warm and make sure he was all right. But he was actually, even though he was three weeks early, he was fully grown. So by the doctor said, He's technically premature, but he's not really premature. He's he's fully baked. Um, but what what I'll never forget is that once they had finished with her, and the doctor said she's going to be fine. She needs to go rest. Um, do you want to see your son? Uh, and uh, of course, I said yes. So they brought me into the NICU, and um, there he is in his in his little box. And um, they've got this little thing taped to him in case they need to put the line in. But it made it look like he was giving a thumbs up. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he gave me that that little hand, and it looked like a thumbs up. And in his face, what I read was, "Dad, I'm okay. You go take care of mom." And I went and, uh, and, and, you know, and I went, I took care of her, but, but the thing that's been fascinating for us as parents is that he has been that kid for almost four years, that kid that, Hey, I'm okay. You go take care of mom and everything's all right. I'm happy. This isn't hard. You know, with all kids, there are challenges. Um, but we have been so blessed to have a child who wakes up every day with a smile on his face, happy to see life. And nothing gets him down. And um, and that, I think, more than anything, keeps us going and inspires us at, in this moment. Oh, that makes me cry. I mean, I, my tears come very easily right now, but that's a really sweet story. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a good note to end on. But um, JMC, where can people find you on the Internet so if they want to follow you? Oh, well, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to pitch anything. Just go to jmcvoiceover.com uh, or uh, I'm pretty hard to miss on Facebook so uh, uh, J. Michael Collins on Facebook the JMC Demos group or the First Class Voiceover group uh, and you can hear me bloviate uh, as much as you can tolerate <laughs> well thank you so much for spending some time with me today I really appreciate it and I know how busy you are and I appreciate you taking the time to come on my little show my pleasure thank you for having me on Okay, so before we close out today's episode, I want to take you through an exercise that I have found to be one of the most helpful ways to release or replace fear in my body and in my mind, which is amplifying a sense of gratitude. What I like about the story that JMC just told us is that his day went from being maybe the most scared he'd ever been in his life to being the most grateful that he'd ever been in his life. And so now that we're in this moment of really, you know, undeniably scary and stressful times, it reminds me that we do have the choice to be able to replace those feelings with feelings of joy and with gratitude. So as I tell you a story of one of the best days of my entire life, I want you to try to call up what that day is for you. It might be, a, as it was for JMC, a day of a birth of a child. It might be the day you got married. It might be um, the first time your Broadway show sold out and you got a standing ovation. It might be your first very big stop on your first world tour as an artist, your first year of a first stadium tour. It could be something as simple as closing a really big deal in sales and getting a, um, a massive paycheck. 
Um, nothing wrong with having money have, <laughs> be a part of that. It could be just getting your first job. It could be getting engaged, which is mine. So for me, my, my, I think this might be the best day of my life. Um, Kelvin and I had just arrived in Italy. We had been on, um, of course, a nine or 10 hour flight. And, and then we had, you know, getting to getting to Trastevere, which is where we were staying. We dropped our bags off at the hotel. I think we changed clothes. I think we changed clothes, but did not take showers. So <laughs> we were feeling pretty grungy. But we went out exploring anyway. It was a warm day. It was probably somewhere in 80, 85 Fahrenheit. We um, did some sightseeing. We saw the ruins. We walked and walked and walked and walked. We had a pizza somewhere. Um, and we ended up at the, at the Trevi Fountain where I made a wish, and my wish was that I would someday marry this man um, uh, with whom I was sharing this trip. Um, I recorded a little dance video because we had, we had this idea that we were going to make um, uh, a video with us dancing that kind of commemorate our trip. I do still have a bunch of those videos. Never got around to editing it together. Maybe I'll do that now. Um, but then we made our way to the Spanish Steps, and we, we, Calvin said, oh, let's just go sit up here and have a little bit of a rest. So we sat down. Kelvin was wearing a backpack. He asked me to hold it because he wanted to pull something out of the backpack. I th oh, he said he wanted to grab the camera. So I was holding the backpack open. He was digging through it, and he pulled out not a camera, but a jewelry box. And then he said something, and this is the part that I'm embarrassed to admit, but I don't remember <laughs> exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of, Darby Worley, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? And he opened up a box that had my dream engagement ring inside of it. And I just started laughing hysterically, like like guffawing laughing, like tears starting to come. Um, and, <laughs> and of course, Calvin was like, uh, that's not the reaction I was expecting. Are you going to say yes or no? I'm like, yes. I said, I said yes, yes. But, but is this happening right now? Is, is this happening like right now? And he's like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, I, because I kind of thought that we were going to get engaged on this trip, but I didn't think you had the ring sorted out. I didn't think that you could possibly have managed to procure this ring, which I did indeed send a photo of to him telling him, you know, kind of what I wanted, but I just didn't think he could pull it off without me. Um, so anyway, he pulls, he goes, well, I would like to transfer this very expensive uh, piece of jewelry to you, if I may, at this point, pulls it out, puts it on my finger. And it's like, <laughs> it's like twice as big as my ring finger. And I was like, well, I'm like, good job on the stone. Good job on the design. That's what I wanted. But this is really big. And he said, oh, I, you left this, you left your ring on the, um, on the shelf in the bathroom. I thought that, I thought that was a clue of what your ring size is. And I was like, honey, I wear that ring on my thumb. So anyway, um, we proceeded to go to, uh, first off was to a chemist to buy some band-aids, aka plasters, as they're known over here, so that I could wrap up, you know, the back of the ring, because there was no way in hell I was not wearing this ring for the rest of our trip. Um, and then we went to a bar, we had some aperitivo, we got really drunk, just kind of went exploring around Rome. I remember we climbed up a bunch of steps and got lost trying to come home. We stayed out until two or three in the morning. I sang with a band somewhere. I don't know. It was it was a whole thing. But I do recall that as being, I think that was like the happiest 12 hours of my life. I think it was better than even getting married. But anyway, so now that you've heard mine, I want you to try to call up a similar experience where you felt that type of just effervescent, bubbly, 
laughter-inducing joy, like over-the-top, over-the-top happy. What was the best day of your life, the best few hours of your life? I'll give you a second. Bring it up. And remember, try to remember now what you were wearing when that day occurred, when that moment occurred. What were you wearing on your feet? Were you dressed up? Were you a lady wearing heels, a lady or a non-lady or a binary or a whoever person wearing heels? Were you wearing clothing that was formal and perhaps constricting or were you just wearing a pair of yoga pants? What did it smell like where you were? I can still remember that uh, that dusty, warm, um, sun-drenched smell of the Spanish steps. What did it smell like where you were? Were there a lot of people around? What were the sounds that you were hearing? Again, I can still hear the the buzz of all these tourists just kind of milling around and talking to each other. But maybe you were somewhere quiet. Maybe you were hearing just the sound of the wind and the trees, leaves rustling. What were the sounds you were hearing when you were at your most joyful? Were there any kind of tastes involved? Were you drinking or eating something? I remember going straight to Apertivo and having what was the probably the best bottle of Prosecco I've ever enjoyed in my entire life. I can remember that taste. We ended up <laughs> jumping on a carousel and riding a carousel. We were both, I don't know, 40 three, 45 years old, we were old and we were riding a carousel. But I can remember that feeling of the wind in my hair and laughing as we were, you know, of course we were filming everything because that's what I do. I remember that feeling of the wind in my hair. What do you remember? Do you remember wind? Was it still? Were you inside? Were you outside? Were you in front of people? Was there a big crowd clapping for you? Or was it just you on your phone, closing a deal, booking a job? What did it sound like where you were? Was it quiet? Was it loud? And now as I take you through just just a few, maybe three or four deep breaths, I want you to imagine as you inhale that you're inhaling that good memory, that effervescent, bubbly, joyful, maybe proud feeling. And then as you exhale, acknowledge that those bubbly, happy, joyful feelings are pushing out the anxiety, fear, hatred, dread that perhaps is already in your body right now. So inhale, joy, effervescence, love, excitement, gratitude. Exhale, fear, worry, darkness, dread, hate. Inhale, love, acceptance, gratitude 
joy. Exhale fear, worry, anxiety, hate. One more time. Inhale gratitude, love, joy, laughter, exuberance. Exhale fear, worry, anxiety, dread, sadness, hate. Now sit up very tall. Bring your hands back to your thighs. One more big breath in. Exhale, say, ha. And now open your eyes and have a good day. I'll talk to you soon.